Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data and analytics culture. I'm Tuvi Lee, and I'll be your host. We're joined today by Alteryx aces Chris Love, James Dunkerley, and Joe Lipsky to have a chat about their career journeys, Inspire London, and where to get the best fish and chips. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, you guys. Um, Super excited to have you on the show. Chris and Joe, I've met you at Inspire, um, which was really awesome to finally put, you know, a face to all the emails and some of the phone calls that we've had. And uh, James, we will be meeting in London, so I'm really excited for that. Um, So can you, let's start with Chris. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Yeah, so I I work for the Information Lab. Uh, I I recently moved into the the dark side of sales. So uh, I I help our customers to uh, be successful with both Tableau and Alterx, help them put them in touch with the team at the Information Lab and, and generally do all that uh, dark side of sales stuff like, you know, playing golf and things like that, that I'm sure everyone expects, but ne- <laughs> never actually gets to happen. Lots of traveling around going to meetings in reality. Okay. And James? Hi, yeah. So I'm, I'm a technical architect for ScottLogic. So we're a software development company. So I spend most of my day dig it, drawing pictures these days of architectures and doing the analysis to make sure our systems are work correctly, working on working with clients to build whatever weird and wonderful software they want us to build for them. Awesome. And Joe. Hey, Tuvi. Hey, Joe. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I work for Javelin Group um, as a consulting manager. Um, we're a retail consultancy firm, and similar to Chris in the Information Lab, we partner with Alteryx and Tableau. Um, and my job is really to help our clients, typically retailers, um, consumer-facing companies, brands, etc., get the most out of their data um, through analytics. So would you guys say that James and Chris, you guys are, I guess, on the dark side and... and James is on the light side. I think yeah, James is definitely the the technical guy who's uh, who's on the coal face doing stuff. I, Joe, I don't know how much stuff uh, you actually do these days. Is it is it all like me, kind of talking about it and not doing much? Less and less these days, and it's more when I'm doing stuff, it's fun stuff that I want to do rather than necessarily what um, what the clients want to do. But more more helping more helping my team members and. Although still, whenever whenever's needed, getting my sort of hands dirty with training sessions and enablement sessions, so it's always always good fun to get back into the technical and uh, technical side of things, which I do definitely enjoy. Cool. So, um, and aside from you know, you guys obviously are very successful. Um, you presented at Inspire. Um, you're actually all presenting again at Inspire London, um, and you're Alteryx aces. So, I mean, I know all about the Alteryx ACE program, um, but can you tell us a little bit about what what you do as an ACE? Um, and, you know, I get a ton of questions of, you know, how do I become an ACE? Um, can you maybe give a little bit of share, I guess, a little bit of insight from your end as to what it is you do as an ACE? So I think being an ACE is all about being a... Uh an evangelist um, about Alteryx and sort of spreading the Alteryx love within the community. 
um, in whatever sort of way, shape or form suits you best and is sort of most in demand, whether that's on Twitter, on the amazing Ultrix community, through user groups, training events, etc. Um, and I think as an, as an Ultrix ace and as a consultant um, for self-service analytics tools, our sort of job is to make other people um, amazing at Ultrix and that's really what you sort of get the value out of and the enjoyment and satisfaction out of whether that's online or in face-to-face training sessions. I think as well there's an element of uh, expertise in there as well, as well isn't there we're, as aces we're kind of representing some of the 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 brightest and best users out there of, of the Ultrix community so we we bring our expertise and and share that with other people uh, through with that evangelism that Joe talked about. And I think we're all active, everyone's active in the communities and user groups and we all like to tackle problems that aren't necessarily our comfort domain as well. Yeah, and I think on the um, expertise front, I think there's the uh, 10,000 hour rule, I can't remember who um, coined the term, but I don't think I've been using Ultrix for 10,000 hours yet, but it, it's probably not, for, probably <laughs> probably, get, probably getting there. Um, we're using Ultrix pretty much all day, every day um, for both fun and work, so getting getting that practice in to improve our own knowledge and share that knowledge with others. Um, so I know, Joe, you mentioned, um, you know, you presented this at Inspire, but uh, you said that you've been using Alteryx since you were in college um, or university. Uh, so you've been using Alteryx for a long time. Can you tell us like, what is the coolest thing that you've ever created with Alteryx? And it could be, you know, from school or or recently or, you know. That's a tough one. Um, But, yeah, like you said, university over here in the UK is what it's called. Um, And exactly as you said, I've been using Ultrix since university, which was back in 2012. So six years. It was actually in 2011 when I started university during a placement year um between my second and we're going to stop talking to you soon jay <laughs> second and final second and final year um of university and i was lucky enough to join javin group as a sort of intern placement student there um using Ultrix for spatial analytics and location planning this was actually when Ultrix was vertically aligned i don't think there was any way to make it horizontal back then um so it was building building workflows from the top to the bottom of the screen and it's always funny when you see some old workflows either saved on your laptop or on network drives and you open them up and they're in that format um but yeah no i think the the coolest thing that i've built that's a really tricky one because i can't remember what i did last week let alone six years ago but a cool thing that i've been building recently which i think we'll probably talk about later is um I love going to the gym and keeping keeping fit. Um, and my gym has a activities page online which tracks every time I enter, exit the gym, how long I stayed in the gym, which one of their chains I went to. Um, and I've built a fairly complex process which web scrapes that information. But obviously, as it's personal to me, it has to be via a login. So I have to log in first. And that was the particularly difficult part to engineer um, in Alteryx, getting the login to work, downloading the cookies, using the cookies to then pull back my activity information, which I've now automated and pulled together in a cool dashboard, which keeps me motivated and keeps me challenged. And uh, most importantly, I can see the weeks where I've only been to the gym once or twice rather than four or five times. 
So does it remind you if you're being lazy and you've only gone once a week? That's a good idea. Maybe I should set up some uh, email alerts <laughs> if it gets to if it gets to Thursday or Friday and I've only been once. I should get some alerts. I don't know if I'd want somebody yelling at me about that. Like I know when I'm not going to the gym. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's super cool. Um, James, I, I noticed that on Twitter uh, you've been posting about something that. Uh, that you've been building that seems really cool. And Ned was replying and, you know, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Not to say that that is the coolest thing you've ever done, but um, I just was curious because I saw it on Twitter. Sure. Um, so this was something that came up. I needed a way to generate templated data, um, data that a very, very specific format, and I needed a lot of them very quickly, um, specifically at 4 million at first, but then 10 billion later. Um, so wanted to do it quickly. Um, couldn't think of a good way to do it uh, where I had limited character sets for each character of a string and feeding it in. Um, so the best way I could come up with was using the formula SDK. Tried to write it in C++, started off, it wasn't too bad. Um, it worked, it produced the data I needed, the 4 million data set I needed in about 10 minutes. But Ned's been great since I joined the Alteryx community. He's become a great friend and helped me a lot along my journey. And he gave me some pointers on my C++. Um, by the end of it, I think it was it took it takes it about one minute and ten seconds now to generate the same amount of data after Ned's help and optimizations and things like this. And it's been it was a fun experience. I don't do much C++ in my day job, and just get digging into C++ to get it as fast as I possibly could and kind of learn from the best, so to speak, was an exciting opportunity. James, you should have been on the podcast from a few weeks ago with, um, I think it was Neil and Steve Algren who were talking about developing all tricks in C++ and whatever other programming languages. Yeah, I heard that podcast, one of the best. <laughs> I agree. Way over my head, but really insightful into the sort of inner workings of the tool. This is where, James, you're totally different from, from me and Joe. You know, me and Joe would tackle that in Ultrax, but never get deep down into the code. I, I do envy you being able to turn that into a, a minutes process. <laughs> uh, it's like, lucky to have got to know Ned because I wouldn't have been able to do it before I started on Ultrax. And I completely agree with the mantra he stated on that one, that simple is hard. I thought that was a very good mantra they had in the other podcast. And your um, formula plugins that you created and are probably more, I guess, um, tangible to other users around, I think there's like Workday and other other different formula um, add-ins that were really cool that I know I use. And I remember I have them in training sessions sometimes loading into Alteryx and I forget that they were James created and I had to install separately when someone says, how have you got that expression in your formula tool and I haven't? It it did make the grant my first grand prix my grand prix entry a bit more complicated. They gave took them all away from me and gave me a raw Voltrix. <laughs> it's like I can't remember how to do this without someone. They're very useful. And so uh, I guess last but not least, um, Chris, what what's the coolest thing that you've ever done with Alteryx that you can share with us? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I I always come back to this word cool. Um, Cool for me is the stuff I do in Alteryx every day that just shaves seconds and minutes off my day. Um, the, the, that to me is, is the really exciting bit and the cool bit about Alteryx, but that's not the answer you want to hear. You want to hear about something uh, really amazing. So I'll tell you about my Enigma machine. My, uh, this came from a, a 
talk that uh, I think Dean did uh, a couple of years ago at the, the Ultrix conference over in the US. He was uh, sharing about Alan Turing and the, uh, the work that he did on the, the Enigma machine, solving that and, and breaking the code back in World War II. So um, on the plane back, I decided to just try and build an Enigma machine in, uh, in Ultrax. It's not something that's uh, particularly easy. It's, it's something I worked on back in my maths degree days when I was uh, trying to... We, we actually had to solve the Enigma code as part of my, my degree, and we had to do it under exam conditions and use some of the techniques that the, the Allies used to, to crack the Enigma code. Enigma code. So I kind of had some background in this. So um, yeah, I, I turned it into something that you could play with the dials on the Enigma machine. You could type in the plug boards that would uh, that uh, the the settings for the plug boards that the the operators would use, and then you type in your message, and it encodes that into an actual um, Enigma code. So yeah, that that was uh, that was really good fun to build. It took me a couple of days to get it right, but uh, I was quite surprised to be able to do it. To be honest, that's so cool. Just a couple of days. Uh, when I when I put my mind to something, I'm either going to sit down and work on it kind of 24-7 to get it done, or it just goes onto the back burner of things <laughs> I'm not going to finish. So I, I have to just sit down and get it done. I'm, I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of person. The same goes for hobbies, the same goes for everything. I'm either doing it or I'm not, which I get told off about frequently, to be honest. So that uh, kind of leads me into my next question, which is uh, your passions. You know, um, I'm curious to know what your passions outside of data and analytics outside of work uh, really is. And I'm wondering, I guess it's a two-part question, if any of those passions sort of fit into data at the same time. So I, it's a weird question, but for example, like if you uh, really like sports, let's say, are you obsessed with player stats or is your data completely different? I mean, is your passion completely different? Two, two of my hobbies that, that spring to mind that, that probably fit into that category are uh, board games and photography for, for two different reasons. I, I play a lot of board games. I, I'm looking behind me now. I'm working from home and I've got a, a stack about as high as me of different kind of board games that I play. Um, and all those board games have got these stats and ways of winning and, and ways that I analyse them just to try and get to, to the optimal play. You're building decks of cards to try and beat enemies and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, the, the, it, in that way, that's, that's something that kind of uh, really fits into that, that data side of things. And then from a photography side, I guess that's... Um, channeling the the artistic side of my brain I, I build a lot of data visualizations and a lot of the the composition side of things that I've learned from taking photography go picks right back into that building dashboards the rule of thirds and the the way I compose my visualizations is, is very much the same as the way I compose my photographs you should definitely take a picture of those board games and send to us because we also love games here at Alteryx. We, uh, I don't think we've had lunch without playing some kind of game um, as a team. So Every day you play a board game at lunch? Almost. You make that sound like it's a bad thing, you know. We need That's to definitely not a bad thing. Unwind and team bonding, competition, maybe some... 
smack talking. <laughs> <laughs> Which game are you best at, Tuvi? All of them, obviously. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I I really like sequence. And I think Maddie is nodding right now at me because we play that a lot. Um, have you guys played? I've got sequence right behind me. It's here. It's a great game, isn't it? I like sequence. Yeah, it's it's very simple, so I can play it with the kids. I'm not saying anything about you know you two. Uh. <laughs> okay, okay. I know. I said I like smack talking, but come on. <laughs> no, that's yeah. That's one of the simpler games in my collection. Uh, it's, it's but it's good fun. It's really yeah, really simple. All right. Well, moving on from Chris, <laughs> then. Um, <laughs> James, can you tell us um, what you like to do? What's your passion? What do you like to do when you're not working or building cool things with Alteryx? Um, As with Chris, I like playing board games. Mine tend to be focused around my two children a lot. So I think our our most advanced one is probably about Ticket to Ride level, so not too tactical. Um, But that and probably when I get the time, cooking as well. I love That's my kind of artistic get out. but a lot of my time is probably spent playing and learning on other technical aspects of my job. And so I kind of spend quite a lot of my spare time doing the fun bits of my job as well as the, as well. What's your uh, signature dish? Um, I would probably say my fa- the favorite one in the family house is probably the, we do a macaroni cheese with um, sweet potato in it and the boys absolutely love it. And, it's fun to cook with them. Oh, that sounds good. That does sound good. Yeah. And and Joe, when you're not at the gym, making all of us <laughs> look bad. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one of them, and that fits into data and quantified self. Um, so I've started tracking a lot of little things about myself, about how I travel to and from work, what time I go to sleep, how long I spend in bed, etc. And um, everyone I know thinks it's really weird and... I don't actually do too much with it, but I like looking at the fancy graphs that you can create and which days you slept the most, etc. Um, but outside of that, cooking and eating as well, and that's a sort of, like James said, I, I'm really into spices and flavours, so it's all about the, uh, I'm not too precise with what ingredients I'm putting in, so data and analytics don't really come into there. But then, then of course, in my spare time at weekends, I'm a huge um, sports fan, a huge football fan, so I'm pretty much going to see my team that I support Crystal Palace every other week when we're at home with my dad Um, and occasionally when I get a bit of spare time I am analysing player stats but I'm not as into it as as some people Um, although have made some sort of cool dashboards in Tableau with some analytics from all tricks around the Rugby Six Nations over the past couple of years um, and just like to play around really to improve my skills. So I'm curious, you know, you guys have all been in this field for a long time. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts of possibly changing roles, positions. What is your what is your five year goal? You can't ask that. You can't ask us that on the public um, podcast. It's okay. No one's listening. It's just me, Brian and Maddie. (laughs) <laughs> until next week when it's released um <laughs> no i i think i i'm not a person that sets long-term goals um for me personally i'm someone that sort of takes 
every day as it comes. Um, always sort of strive to do the best in everything I do. Like Chris said, like Chris said earlier, um, it's all about sort of putting putting effort into whatever you're doing. There's there's no point um, being half-hearted. So take every day as it comes. Put put your sort of best effort into everything you do, and then I'm always a person that everything will will work out the best. A hundred percent. See my long-term future in data and analytics and if Ultrix keeps developing the way it is I 100% see my future using Ultrix pretty much every day so I'm I'm looking forward to it but I don't typically think too far in advance. I'm really glad you said that actually Joe because I think you know we, we see a lot of things in the community and perhaps people look at us as people who have really strived to get to be an ace deliberately and set out places in our career where we'll we, we, go to get to this point and and people talk about you know um living with no regrets and grabbing every single opportunity you can and things like that whereas you know I, i'm very much like you i i didn't plan to to get to a particular point in my career i've just worked hard and and worked through it and i think that the next five years i'll do exactly the same i'm not a particular person who's who's saying i want to be at this position by this point so yeah i think there's a lot to be said for just working at things and and seeing what happens i think from my perspective it's we're lucky to be in software engineering data analytics where it's a constantly evolving field there's so much stuff to learn and all what i'm looking for is to keep learning and keep keep growing and keep developing and there's it's an it's ever changing and Ultrix was a big kick to remind me that's what i loved doing and it did cause me to change my career when i first came across it a while ago and are there any specific people who, I mean, it sounds like you guys are all somewhat, you know, hard workers, but easygoing at the same time and um, taking opportunities as they come. Has there been, you know, mentors or uh, advisors along the way to get you to where you are now? For me, the, my my old boss, um, a guy called, called Simon Ham, I worked under him at Experian for about, uh, what, 10 years and and he his his management style and everything else really led me to where I am today he he was very open he very chilled he he'd just empower people underneath him to to be the experts he didn't want to kind of um, own anything he'd just empower people so he he I, I certainly look on him as a, a mentor for he got he was the first person to introduce me to Alltracks I I worked at uh, Experian with people like Adam Riley who's now uh, developer uh, looks after the engine team at Ultrax, Damien Austin, who's head of professional services, I think, at Ultrax, as well as Mark Fresh at uh, uh, Marquee Crew, who 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 now uh, is a consultant out in the US. So, you know, being from that atmosphere and being empowered to build things and under, under Simon's uh, guidance, I think, was a, a really key pivotal moment in in my career development and it took a lot for me to step away from that and and say I'm going to now move to the to the information lab and do something with that knowledge and be a consultant under that um so yeah yeah it's uh, I think having those kind of mentors are, are very important particularly in in your early career it's, it's a key part of your development yeah I, comp- I completely agree um I've I guess been fortunate enough to sort of join an amazing company straight from university and still at that same company have been working sort of under the same leadership for the past six years under Carl Bradbrook and Robin Bevan who are who I sort of report up into although 
the way they sort of set our team up is it's almost a flat structure and we give everyone opportunities to do what they're best at whether that's client facing whether that's analytics work and and I'm a firm believer that everyone should sort of have the same opportunities there shouldn't be such strict hierarchies in terms of in the workplace but also sort of one one sort of story that I remember extremely well when I was learning to drive at 17 um I remember the first day when my dad took me out learning to drive before I had even had any lessons, got my insurance, my provisional license, the day I turned 17. And I remember this story. My dad took me out. We were driving up and down our quiet road, um, our quiet road out in South London. Um, and then he drove to a fairly busy road and was like, Joe, jump in the, jump in the driver's seat and basically directed me to drive straight up to a roundabout I stalled about five times. So in the UK, we have manual manual cars. I stalled about <laughs> five times. Um, and once you've, once you've sort of done it once, um, you, you don't typically do it again. And it's kind of what I, again, try, try and instill about throwing people in the deep end. And you learn so quickly from the sort of tough challenges, tough challenges you face. And that's the only way to, to improve, so... Yeah, I was like Joe, lucky to go into an environment in my first job where I was given space to learn and space to work and had great people around me. And fortunately, in all the subsequent jobs, that's been the case as well. And and within Scott Logic, surrounded by fantastic people who I can learn from and work closely with. And and now as a manager, it's all about just making all of your colleagues and everyone around you better than you better than you are and your team will be so successful it's for me it's all about teamwork and empowering everyone it's um it's how we work together that makes everyone successful um so chris you mentioned that you know you switched over and and took a job at information lab and um you earlier you called that you know going to the dark side of sales um so I'm curious, that I, for people who are listening, I think there's a lot of people who are in data analytics who are, you know, either deep in creating queries and, and they're in the data. They're not necessarily in front of the stakeholders and say they want to make that jump over to be either more client facing or have more of a voice in the business. How would you, what would your suggestion be for them? Uh, I think for me, the the way I enabled that was was literally getting from behind the computer. I think in technical roles, it's very easy to sit there and be the expert and just send out answers and visualizations and workflows from your desk and and give people what they want. But getting up and talking to people, talking to people in the kitchen, in the canteen, in going and asking them and speaking to them, making trips to, to their desk and finding out what their problems are, you, you very quickly get involved with actually what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And so you can, you can, come, you can kind of leave that technical bubble and work into their world. As you do that, you, you build up much more of a, an empathy for the kind of problems that, that they're having and, and learn to speak that kind of business speak. It's only by doing that that you can really step out from, from behind your desk and, uh, and uh, I guess, make that transition. It's all about communication for me. 
Um, communication is is something that I think we still miss from the in, in the data world. We we still don't have enough conversations about data with the business. So so making that a key part of our um, toolkit is is really uh, uh, the key to that. Yeah, I completely agree. The other thing I'd add to that is collaboration as well. Um, in the sort of data analytics world, so often people are doing such amazing things sort of on their own, working on their own on workflows, on dashboards, on building um, tools or software. Um, I think really sort of the collaboration aspect, working working in teams, is something that's not missing from the community, but something that's sort of definitely in its infancy and, and is growing. And the Alteryx community is obviously a fantastic place to start building up that collaboration. We have our sort of ACE community pages, and I know um, very recently there's been lots of sort of posts on there about doing things together, whether it's writing blogs together or user guides together or how to install Ultrix server in an enterprise environment, which I know Adrian Long is sort of writing but is asking for each 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 of the rest of us aces tips and tricks and sort of little sort of steps we've gone through because it's never always the same um for everyone so that brings up a good point um i think that in the tech community um data community especially um there's a lot of sharing i think that that's like the biggest thing that i've noticed when someone discovers how to do something or if they they build something the first thing they do is share that with other people so that they can use and uh repeat which is really, really great to see because there's other industries where people kind of play it close to the vest and might want to, you know, keep their own findings to themselves. Um, do you guys have any, I guess if there's anything missing, do you see anything missing in in the greater analytics community that we currently don't have as far as um, client success or client experience? I think for me the, the the big thing that's missing is is the leadership voices we we get a lot of voices from the technical people the users uh, we don't necessarily always hear from the people that are implementing this on why they're implementing it and and what are the the business factors and the success factors behind why that why they're choosing to implement a culture of analytics in their organizations they they're not as vocal in our communities as they should be uh, there are one or two individuals doing that, but not as many as I'd like to see. So I, I think, you know, if, if there's one challenge I'd like to put out there, it's to, for more of them to come forward and say, what are they finding difficult? What what have, what successes have they had? James, do you see anything missing that you'd like to see more of? Oh, I, th- I think Chris's point is very valid. I think that how do you build the culture is, th- there's lots of answers to the technical side, and I think we're very good at sharing technical stuff. Um, but the kind of cultural change stories and how you embed it into a cult, into businesses and into cultures is the much harder unknown piece, um, and an area that is is very hard to get any inf- any advice on in general. Um, so I'd agree with that. So would it be, I guess, helpful, or if you saw more of the business side in either the forums or on social, is is that what you're talking about, or um, how would you like to see that feedback and communication? I think for me, it's more more stories about organisations, and, and this is probably coming from you know senior leadership talking about we we used to have 
this. You know, we used to have a team of people who were not very communicative, didn't know what, um, using a lot of Excel spreadsheets, et cetera, et cetera. This is how we got them as a, as a leadership team from this place to using day-to-day-to-day, sharing it, talking about it, um, building workflows, building visualizations, and, and, and having a very data-driven attitude. I'd like to hear how that story evolved. What, what were the challenges? What, what things were successful? What did they actually do to implement that as a leadership team? And, and for them to talk about that realistically and honestly about what that journey was like. No, I think that would be really useful. I think there's a, there's a lot of cases that I've come across in my path where there's been silos of ownership and how you break those down and how you help get into those spaces where people don't want to release the control that they've had for potentially years and help them move to that newer culture and it's it's very much a cultural thing rather than a technical thing yeah yeah how, how do you break down those people you know we we all know that those challenges are out there but stories from the coalface of of how you actually do that do that i think we 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 hear a lot from consultants about how they propose to do that we don't necessarily hear about success stories from organizations about how they've actually achieved that at events and conferences etc you hear the amazing stories success stories of of how like you said how people got there but the real truthful stories about the challenges and some of the problems that inevitably inevitably happen whether they're technical or um or sort of internal cultural changes everyone we know everyone does have those challenges it's never always plain sailing um and the sort of best advice is probably what those challenges were and and how they the companies did overcome them and from a consultant's perspective, you don't necessarily, we don't necessarily see well the whole journey. We see the beginning of the journey quite often, or the difficult points, and how they get through that when we're not there is always interesting. That's interesting. It's um, I think a lot of people, especially if they're on stage or they have this huge platform, it's a lot more enticing to talk about the good outcome, right? You don't. It, it's a little vulnerable to talk about all the challenges that you've gone through and and all the hundred things that didn't work uh, versus the one thing that did work really well. But I think that's one of the big attitude things is one of the things about Alteryx and software engineering in general is you want to fail fast because you're going to fail often. So being public about how we fail is as important about as of how we succeed. Fail fast because you're going to fail often. I like that. <laughs> um, so switching gears a little bit, I, I want to talk about um, London, uh, Inspire. Everybody is just so excited here um, for that day to just come already. Um, and so Chris and Joe, you guys have uh, your sessions. You have uh, presented in the past. Um but James, this is going to be your first time presenting at Inspire. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, what your session is going to be like and how you came to come up with this um, idea to, to present this? Um, well, as people who know me on the community know, I, I live in a strange edge area of Alteryx deep in the SDK. Um, so I thought I'd share some light on the Formula SDK. Um, I know the work that Tasha and Neil have been doing to promote the general newer SDKs has been fantastic. But 
I thought it'd be fun to highlight one of the ancient SDKs. And if I remember from the header file, it goes back to something like Alteryx 1.5. So long before I was a user of the product, but thought I'd demonstrate and talk about some of the stuff that's possible with the Formula SDK and some some of the things and pitfalls I've learnt from building the Abacus libraries and how I go about building them in general. And hopefully people will come away with the ability to create some functions themselves. I remember James gave us a sneak peek into that um, a couple of, well, probably about a year ago at the uh, at the London Alteryx user group, and it was a fantastic insight into how the SDK works, what kind of stuff you can do, and some of the sort of amazing plugins and add-ins and tools that James has created that are out there in the public for everyone, going back to the sort of sharing and community aspect um, of Alteryx. Um, and so for Joe and Chris, you know, since you've presented any, any tips on, you know, either first time presenters or even people who might want to submit for a call for speakers next year, um, these are obviously very, a lot of them are very technical sessions and you are up there speaking for about 35, 40 minutes or so. How do you balance, um, your sessions to be both, engaging and educational um, and and have somebody you know people the audience walk away with something very valuable so from my talk at inspire in Anaheim um, I think firstly anyone that's even considering speaking should apply to do it I remember to we were on a um, ace panel talk which myself and four other aces were talking on and myself and Daniel Bruin um, good friend from Scandinavia we were talking about some cool integrations that we were doing in Alteryx with APIs and we were going to talk at the panel around sort of cool things you never thought Alteryx can do as one of the questions and I remember you said to us why don't why don't you why don't you submit a talk and actually have your own talk about that um and at that point I was like I didn't really think people would actually want to sort of come and hear what I what I had to say and um, obviously by the end of it, it was a fantastic talk. We had a, a room full. I think everyone enjoyed it. So just, just put yourself out there and, and do it. People definitely do want to hear what you have to say. Um, and it's such a rewarding experience. And then in terms of sort of tips for making it both engaging, enjoyable, um, we, we had sort of a balance between, I guess, sort of use cases around what we were showing technically and how what we were showing could be applied to the business world and how others could apply it to what they were doing. So our talk, um, in summary, was sort of around web scraping, API integrations, um, and uh, image recognition. So a really cool concept that I guess you wouldn't expect you could do with Alteryx, a sort of data blending and analytics tool. Um, but we showed some amazing examples. We had some great feedback um, after the session, and we've been speaking to attendees around sort of how they've been using, I guess, what we shared after the session. And then the one thing we did at the end is we just did our favorite free tips and tricks. And that's what I always like to see when I'm going to session. Something to ensure that everyone goes away with probably something they didn't know before, um, whether it's a new use case, a new story, or a new tip or trick. So... If I can share some uh, some tips as well, then I'd probably say uh, some some don'ts. I, I've been to I lose count of the number of Inspire sessions I've been to now. Um, I'm probably going to say six or seven at least. Um, and I've seen a lot of customer speakers, and and I've seen some good ones and some bad ones. So uh, my my top tips would be 
don't spend a long time explaining what your company does. We, we, if you're Coca-Cola, we roughly know what Coca-Cola do. We don't need to see 20 minutes of what you, what you do. Um, the really interesting stuff for us as an audience is the, the warts and all perception of, of what you're what you built in in Ultrax, you know, you don't don't give us a, um, uh, don't preach the converted. We we all know that Ultrax is a fantastic tool, and I've been to sessions which are just preaching to the converted. So so give us the warts and all. Tell us how you overcame some of the challenges you you got to. Don't just tell us that it saved turned your um, five week process into a twenty four second process. Because, you know, I think a lot of the audience will be there and, and will know that it can do that. So I'm really interested in the how you did it, why you did it, and, and some of the business value that you got out of that. What did that time saving allow you to do? What, what additional business benefit did it, did it give you? It's good. Yeah. I mean, um, it's kind of, I don't think people think about um, failing stories. Not that, you know, to go up there and talk about how you couldn't do something, um, is, is valuable, but the, the success stories are often the ones that pop up first that people want to talk about. Um, but it's, I guess it's really good to, to hear about how someone struggled through something and then, um, showing the different paths that they took, um, to find out the answer. Okay, so um, thank you so much, uh, Chris, James, and Joe, for joining me today. Um, so we like to close it out with uh, our community picks. So it pretty much if, if you've read something or a really great meal you've eaten that you'd like to share with us, um, anything that you'd like to share uh, with our listeners here, uh, please let me know one or two things that come to mind. Um, and we'll start with Chris. Uh, yeah, so uh, I was scrolling through Twitter, uh, I think it was yesterday, and came across uh, Nadia Bremer's uh, Figures in the Sky data visualisation. And I think it's a really wonderful data visualisation of the the way that different cultures look at the stars and the way they pick out different constellations from the stars around us, the way they're, they're choosing, not just based on the brightness of the stars, but how they how they visualize the sky around us and how that that differs across the globe and how it how the similarities as well map across the globe as well so i'd really encourage people to go and go and look at that and read through it's a great article there's some great um visualization behind that not a traditional data visualization but data visualization of of the stars which you know takes me back to uh when i was camping a few years ago and took my boy out and we watched the Perseids meteor shower and he, he just turned to me and said dad this is the best moment of my life and I'll always remember that just looking up at those stars and his he, this little eight-year-old's reaction to it so um, it's always held a, the stars have always held a fascination for me and this is just a great visualization of it that is so sweet I just clutched my heart <laughs> what's his name his, his name's George um George and we we're we're going again we're going down to the new forest so there's going to be uh really dark skies and uh, I'm going to take my uh my now five-year-old six-year-old uh Fred and so he's going to do the same thing we're going to stay up have a midnight feast and a campfire and then uh, look up at the stars and hopefully August we'll see some meteors and and the stars again 
I have to say, Maddie and I are just almost crying in our seats. Your <laughs> son's names are so cute. I love that they're almost like um, kind of like old man names, you know, but for little kids, it's really adorable. We, <laughs> we're just sitting here smiling. So that's, that's awesome. Uh, Joe, what is your community pick? Mine's a weird one. Um, but thinking about this, I, I was thinking again, sort of technology and apps and just over the past few years, we've started using apps like WhatsApp and Spotify and stuff sort of all day, every day. And one thing that I'm sort of particularly interested in at the moment is, I guess, the sort of movement of people across cities and just the improvements to transportation. So one app that I've started re- using recently, um, or two apps actually, are two car sharing apps that I use where essentially you don't have to own a car anymore. Um, so the, these two apps in the UK are called Zipcar and Drive Now, and I'm sure um, there's different companies in sort of different cities across the world. But essentially, there's cars parked all over London or whatever city um, you're using the app in. Um, you can pick the car up with your phone, you unlock it with your phone. It's 29 pence a minute um, for fuel, insurance, um, everything. You drive it for however long. If you're going on a 15-minute journey, it costs you two, three pounds, cheaper than an Uber, cheaper than a taxi, a similar price, I guess, to sort of public transport. But I see this as a sort of app and a development that's going to sort of change the way that, particularly in cities, people move about cities. And I'm fortunate enough to live in London. Um, and because of these apps and, I guess, the development of them, I don't think I'm actually going to own a car again. So probably sound like a salesperson um, selling some apps. I do have referral codes um, if you want them. <laughs> this uh, podcast is sponsored by Zipcar. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. Um, but, yeah, they, they sort of change the way I, I get about and explore different places you can explore. So, like Chris said, you can sort of get out to the countryside in a car now, whereas before I would have had to have rented a car and gone to pick it up from the airport or taken a two-hour train to wherever I wanted to go so that's cool I is it hard to find parking though when you get to your destination how's parking in London that's one of the best things about it parking in London in your own car is impossible um the reason being it's all permit holders only you literally can't park probably probably within an hour's drive of London, you can barely park anywhere uh, because it's permit holders only. But with these cars, you can park in the permit bays, which are pretty much empty all the time. So parking's a piece of cake. Um, And James, what is your community pick or picks? Um, I guess my one came from like, like Chris looking through Twitter, I saw something come up from Infotopics the other week, um, and they were do, they were abusing Tableau's new extension API and allowing you to play Super Mario in Tableau, and that fitted with my usual use and abuse of SDKs, and I thought that was very fun. Um, and then they've done some other fun stuff that I've always felt like doing in Alteryx, like solving Sudokus with Alteryx, which has always been a fun game to do. Awesome. Um, so my community pick, uh, is this nonprofit organization, um, that I got to find out about. I went to a, um, an auction, a benefit dinner, um, this past weekend with Libby and a few of the, um, teams, uh, teammates here at Alteryx, and uh, they work with 10 different uh, orphanages in Mexico, 
uh, putting kids through primary school, middle school, high school, and even through college, um, and then helping them getting jobs after that. So uh, it was a night that raised over $250,000, which was amazing. And uh, we are actually going to plan a trip to go down to Mexico maybe in a month or two to visit the orphanages and hopefully bring back some some good knowledge to then um, continue supporting them from California here. So it's called uh, Corazón de Vida, which is really cool. And the lady who started it actually used to uh, live in an orphanage, so she's giving back and very inspiring stuff. Um, and then my second community pick is this amazing Trader Joe's everything bagel seasoning that I bought. And it is a game changer. Uh, I don't know if you guys are big bagel people, but every time you grab an everything bagel and you cut it and toast it, you lose a lot of the seasoning. So this is a, a bagel seasoning blend that you can sprinkle on top. Can you bring us some over to Inspire, please? I can. Do you guys like bagel? Is Are bagels big in yeah. England? Yeah, growing. Are they? Growing? In in London. Well, yeah, not not up here in, in North. <laughs> oh, well, I will then bring you all a, uh, a nice little Trader Joe's bagel, everything bagel seasoning blend. It's so good. And you can put, like, you can put it on toast, you can put it on your salads, you can put it on everything. It does so. sound good. You have bread cakes up there, Chris, don't you? Cobs, cobs, yeah, we, we'll make do it with a cob, yeah. What are bread cups? Rolls. Uh, but yeah, bread roll is a cob. Cob or cup? Cob. Cob. Oh, cob. Okay. Lots of different so, dialects. So those are bread, like bread rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a like a okay. bread roll. There's, there's all sorts of dialects across the UK. Up in Manchester, there are balm cake, <laughs> and there there are cob here in the Midlands, and uh, a bread roll, and all sorts. And you think you think only your way of saying it's right, and everyone else is crazy. Exactly. That's clearly correct, isn't it, Joe? Well, being from London, we assume we're completely correct. <laughs> yeah, always <laughs> with everything. <laughs> I like the sass. Um, You've got to have conviction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when Chris said that I'm simple because I like sequins. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I don't know if I'm going to bring you some uh, everything bagel seasoning, but James and Joe <laughs> definitely <laughs> bring you some presents when I arrive. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, you guys. This has been great. Um, I think people will really love listening to this episode. Um, excited, really excited to see you all in London and um We'll be talking talking to you very soon. Probably send you some emails after I finish here. Super. Thank you. Thank you. Can't wait for Inspire. Thank you very much. I'm curious about fish and chips. I know that it's something that people in the UK are known for. Um, I don't know if it's really even true for you guys it's kind of like when people say oh you're american you like hamburgers you know i mean we do but uh can you give us some tips uh for where to eat what to do what to see while we're in england <laughs> so i i think <laughs> i think fish and chips um is a 
typical um, English meal. It's it's not overrated, but like you say, I don't think it's as common as people work out. And to get the best fish and chips, you need to be by the seaside. Um, for it to be the freshest and the nicest, 100%. Definitely. Um, but I would say... London's sort of so multicultural, um, Britain's so multicultural, my favourite thing about it is the diversity, the variety, it's the same with food and cuisines, um, you can pretty much go to an amazing restaurant of any culture, any cuisine um, in and around London, probably within f- for 15, 15 minutes of each other on the tube, so um, try lots of different things out, the traditional British thing that I would suggest trying if you are over um, is a Sunday roast, so, essentially, get yourself down to a nice gastro pub, a nice pint of British um, ale, and a roast beef, roast chicken, whatever whatever roast you you decide to have with Yorkshire puddings and lots of gravy. That's the sort of, I guess, typical sort of traditional meal that I guess probably most of us eat pretty much every Sunday afternoon. It sounds like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving every week. <laughs> Um, James, what would be your um, suggestion or top two places that we must see? Well, you're out at the we're the, we're out at the O2 this time, so um, rather than in the centre of London. Um, but I would make sure you went into the centre of London and saw some of the more historic historical buildings um I, I do like walking along the river and i'd hardly recommend it ned persuaded me last year to meet him at his hotel and walk along from his hotel so i got the walk along the river um most mornings and i'd hardly recommend that there's a really fantastic thing to do and just around the corner from the o2 um which is in greenwich we've got um greenwich park which is um where the maritime museum is which is where the uh, GMT time system was, I guess, founded, developed. I'm not sure what the what the right word for it is, but there's an amazing park that's beautiful with a um, fantastic museum and sort of lots of lots of history attached to it, just around the corner from the um, conference hotel. Yeah, and you can walk and stand on the meantime line and find out that your phone thinks you're about 100 metres away from it and despair of it. I, I was going to say, if I can make the case that uh, the UK is not just about London. Um, I, I live about uh, two and a half miles north of uh, London by train, so uh, up towards Nottingham. Uh, hours, not miles. Sorry, my, yes. <laughs> so so I, I, I live about two and a half hours north of uh, London in a place called Nottingham. And, um, yeah, it, it, there's much more to see outside London than uh, uh, of the UK. There's there's lots of countryside. You don't have to travel far to uh, to see the beautiful country we have here so if, if you've got a bit of time then I'd, I'd heartily recommend coming up to to Derbyshire or even going as far as the Lake District and seeing some of the some of the hills and lakes up there 